Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome back to part four. This is part four of four on coronary artery disease. And I left you with this hanger of a case. IV drug abuse, chest pain, coronary CTA. What's the best diagnosis? Well, look at the images. What looks funny? What grabs your attention? Well, you see the left main coronary artery in LAD. That looks okay for a second. But what's that vessel coming on the right side? Looks like it's coming just anterior to the pulmonary artery and coming across to like the apex of the heart. And there it is again, and there it is even better on the 3D images. What's that vessel that's coming anterior to the pulmonary artery coming all the way from right to left? Again, very nicely shown in the 3Ds, and I even gave you an arrow. And here it is again showing you what exactly is going on here. So what's the best diagnosis? LAD from the right coronary, dual left anterior descending coronaries, duplicated right coronary, or malignant course. And the answer is dual left anterior descending coronary arteries. That's an unusual diagnosis. It has four variants. Majority of cases has both vessels arising from the LAD, while occasionally the long course of the LAD comes from the right coronary, which is what you've seen here. And you can see, look at that vessel coming from the right coronary region, and it's coming anteriorly in front of the pulmonary artery, and it's coming from right to left to the apex of the heart. Just very nicely shown. And you can see there's two coronary arteries to the left. And again, you can see the different types. Type 4, origin from LAD proper, terminates high into ventricular groove. Origin from right coronary, anomalous prepulmonic course, and re-enters AIG. And this is the long course, type 4. Okay, just a very nice example. Um, article by Agrawal and Kazaruni. Uh, it's important to be aware of dual LAD because of inability to visualize the additional vessel, especially when the long LAD originates in the right coronary sinus. The variant anatomic features can be misinterpreted for mid-LAD occlusion. So there is a pitfall, something to be aware of. Very nice. Okay, now if you look carefully at this example, here you see the patient's uh, LAD, left main, has extensive plaque. And then you look, and there's the patient's, uh, another branch of the LAD off the patient's uh, right coronary. So just a very nice example, same patient, just really showing you some of the images and showing you the fact this patient has all sorts of grief, including stenosis of the patient's LAD from the uh, left cusp. So again, just a beautiful example. The 3D, again, is very helpful, showing you the orientation and tracking of the LAD. Nice example. Okay, another case. 56-year-old male with chest pain. What's the best diagnosis? Now. I'm going to stay away from the coronaries for a second, and I'm going to ask you what's going on in that patient's left atrial appendage. Is there a thrombus or not? There looks like a filling defect. Here it is again. Is it a pseudothrombus or a real thrombus? Is it a myxoma or is it an infarct? Well, it's actually a pseudothrombus. When you have big atrial appendages or sometimes just older patients with poor cardiac output, the atrial appendage on the earliest images, the perfectly timed coronary images, is not totally opacified, 
and you see this defect. The way you can get around making the mistake of calling it a thrombus is knowing that it has a fluid fluid level. When it's a real thrombus, it doesn't have that. But you can see how nicely the fluid fluid level is seen. Or in this example, big left atrial appendage, again, that pseudoclot, that flow-related change, poor cardiac output. If you waited another 40 seconds, you would have been fine. And here it is beautifully here in the coronal views. Again, the thrombus layers out posteriorly, or the pseudothrombus, that is. Just a beautiful, beautiful visualization. Now, when you have a real thrombus, there it is. You can see it looks like a thrombus. It's not a layering. And this patient, beyond having the thrombus, uh, which you can see again, also had uh, evidence of an infarct in the patient's uh, left kidney, very nicely shown. When you have a real thrombus, it's really filling in the vessel. This is not a layering effect. This is a true thrombus, very nicely shown. And again, the point, if you're uncertain, get a delayed scan. This article by her made the point that if you went back and got delayed scans, you always could distinguish a true thrombus or mass from a pseudothrombus. Again, accuracy, sensitivity, 100%, specificity, 98%. Now, again, we don't want to be doing that on our patients. It's more radiation dose. But if you're really not certain, it's easy enough to do. But it's something, indeed, you get used to. And these pseudo-filling defects are just not going to be uncommon. And this article, which looked at it, you can see their second scan was 30 seconds after the first scan was completed. And that's probably a good strategy. Wait 30 to 40 seconds if you have any questions. Okay, another patient, 40-year-old who has a history of chest pain, shortness of breath. Triple rule out was done. What's the best diagnosis? And again, I'm going to take you away from the coronary arteries. There's a filling defect in the patient's left atrium. What is going on there? Here's another view. Here's a negative display, another view of that. And here's a coronal view. What is that? You can see it's a real filling defect. And in this patient with chest pain, is it a thrombus, a myxoma, a metastasis? angiosarcoma? Good question. Well, it's an atrial myxoma. Atrial myxomas are the most common benign neoplasm of the heart, accounting for more than 50% of benign cardiac tumors. Mean age of diagnosis is 50 years. Patients' presentations can range from incidental findings to arrhythmias, injured cardiac obstruction, systemic embolization, or constitutional symptoms. Uh, majority attached to the fossovalis of the interatrial septum. When you talk about atrial myxomas, three quarters of them are in the patient's left atrium, one quarter in the right atrium. And again, cardiac masses occasionally will, will be requested to look for a mass, but most of the time it's an incidental finding. Now, the reason I say most of the time it's an incidental finding, the presence of metastasis to the heart is 50 times more common than primary tumors. So primary tumors are indeed rare. Prevalence, 0.002% in autopsy. Metastasis are 40 times more common. In an AFIP series of primary tumors in cysts of the heart, 60% were benign, 23% were malignant, and 17% were cysts. When you look at benign tumors, myxoma is at the top of the list. But other things we commonly see are papillary fibroelastomas. When I say commonly, I mean rare, but amongst the rare, 
It's the common compared to those other possibilities. And again, malignancies, then we talk about metastasis. The lymphoma can extend down, involve the heart, sarcomas, teratomas, and mesothelioma are things we think about. So going back to our case here, great location for an atrial myxoma. And here's just a couple other examples of an atrial myxoma originating near the fossa ovalis, polypoid, can contain calcifications. They're usually minimal calcifications, hemorrhage, and necrosis. Now, another tumor. Now, what is this one? Look at it. I mentioned it a few moments ago. And in fact, you can really appreciate this one if you look at the motion. And you can see it's a polypoid lesion. And when you look at the coronal, where is it coming from? It's coming from the cusp, the atrial, near the, near the patient's aortic cusp. And you, when you put it into negative display, look how nicely you can see it coming off the cusp. And you can see it's moving as the um, patient's aortic valve is opening. It's like a polypoid thing hanging on the patient's cusp. Very nicely seen. And that's a very classic location. Remember I mentioned before atrial myxomas, where you see them. And then the second one is papillary fibroastomas. They rise typically off the aortic valve. They extend into the patient's uh, cardiac chamber. They can be large. They can obstruct. They can be invasive. But it's an important thing to recognize. Again, as we get better at gating, you see these lesions. It's something that will need to be resected. Beautiful example here with a negative display. And some facts, most common benign neoplasm of the cardiac valvular structures, second most common type of cardiac tumor, primary cardiac tumor that is, beyond myxomas. Surgical resection should be offered to all patients who have symptoms and to asymptomatic patients with a pedunculated lesion over a centimeter because those commonly will embolize. An article, cardiac papillary fibroastomas, classified as benign endocardial tumors, arising from the normal component of the endocardium, like fibrous tissue, elastic fibers, or smooth muscle cells. They originate from the valvular endocardium, the aortic valve, mitral valve, and tricuspid valves are involved uh, in that order, with the aortic valve being the most common. Um, in addition, non-valvular origin was observed in about 16% of cases, though that tends to be much less common. And despite the benign nature of the tumor, it has a high risk of embolization, which explains why this tumor needs to be resected. The tumor itself can, in some sense, give off emboli. Okay? Now, last thing I'll just comment on is something that probably deserves its own talk at some point, and that's the classification of how we interpret coronary arteries. Now, we talk about different systems, and I guess I had this question, what's the system for coronary arteries? Birads, lyrads, lungrads, pyrads, cadrads. Ah, you don't know anything you could diagnose cadrads, okay? But this rad thing has taken over radiology. Breast screening, chronic liver disease, lung cancer screening, MR of the prostate, and now reporting for coronary arteries. The suggested CADRAS classification is applied on a per-patient basis and represents the highest grade lesion in that patient. The best score for you, that is, is a CADS of zero for the complete absence of stenosis and plaque. 
to a CAD-RAD5, which means totally occluded at least one vessel. Now, there are many different components to all of these CAD-RADs and everything else, but I think it's something you need to read about. It's a bit kind of fuzzy. It's going to change a number of times, I believe, but it's going to be a framework for reporting coronary arteries. So again, pay attention to the space. Well, what else can I do now? I think I've finished, but let me, let me just give you a few teasers. Let me check your anatomy. What's the vessel marked by the arrow? Let me show you the vessel. What vessel is that? You see it's coming off the right coronary? Think about it. It's the SA nodal branch, okay? Very nicely shown there. And the SA nodal branch was most frequently a large atrial branch of the right coronary, arising about 12 millimeters from its beginning. Perfect, like this case. And here it is. Okay, let me ask you another question. Another vessel marked by the arrow. What is it? Those are the choices. We'll come back. Here's the vessel. What vessel am I pointing to? Hmm, it's coming off the circumflex and going between the left atrium and the ascending aorta. It looks like it's going from left to right. What could that be? AV nodal branch, SA branch, marginal right coronary, diagonal branch of the right coronary. There it is again. And the answer is the SA nodal branch. And it's the SA nodal branch coming off the patient's circumflex coronary artery, very nicely shown on the 2D or the 3D images. And here's another example I've seen of that, the SA nodal branch of the circumflex. So that's one of the variant locations. SA nodal artery is most frequently a large branch of the right coronary, 63%. 37% of the time, it's a branch of the left coronary, one of its branches, typically the circumflex. Okay? So that kind of goes through a number of different things. Um, hopefully, you, you like this, and hopefully this will help you. Again, coronary CTA be, is becoming more and more important. I think it's important to recognize, even if you're not doing coronary CTA on a daily basis, you need to be looking at some of the scans because you're going to see pathology whether you like it or not. It's very easy to see pathology at times you're doing chest pain, you're doing triple rule outs, look at the coronaries. And sometimes the coronaries just are abnormal. The coronaries are there. Take a look at it, know some of the variations, I've covered some of them. Understand the importance of calcium scoring, and I think you'll do a great job. And with that, part four has now been recorded. Thank you very much.